Welcome to the How Did They Do It Real Estate Podcast. Have you ever wondered how people succeed in real estate and what steps they took to get there? If so, this podcast is for you. Your hosts, Sayla and Eileen Prack, interview top experts in the real estate community to share with you their real estate journey and how they achieved massive success. Our goal is to provide you with valuable real estate resources and to help you apply it to your own real estate goals. Welcome everyone to today's episode of the How Did They Do It Real Estate podcast. I'm your host, Eileen Prack, and today our guest is Hayden Crabtree. Hayden is a real estate investor out of Atlanta, Georgia, that specializes in value-add commercial real estate with over $40 million in transactions under his belt at the age of 24. His primary focus is self-storage assets. So that's a quite a feat, Hayden. And so we'd love to dive into how did you do that? And then if you can share a little bit you know, about yourself and how you got started in real estate, we'd really appreciate that. And welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited to share you know, how I quote got here. I mean, there's still a lot, lot, lot more to be done, but happy to talk about that. You know, it really starts my journey, I would say, in real estate, especially back in college, when uh, this little purple book that cursed my life, or actually, you know, blessed my life, but at the time cursed it called Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And after I finished Rich Dad, Poor Dad, which someone recommended that I read, just instantly, you know, I knew I thought to myself, I have to learn how to be a real estate investor. And at that time, I was uh, in my early, early college years, didn't know what I wanted to do, always had the entrepreneur bug. Uh, and I, I just said, you know, it's going to be real estate for me because of this book. So, you know, I read the book and I instantly got online and I went to the University of Georgia, which is in Athens, Georgia. And I just typed in on Google, real estate investing, Athens, Georgia. And of course, you know, a forum comes up and I'm reading this one post about this guy who said, you know, there were these eight duplexes where he had, he had wholesaled them, made like 200 grand. And then he went to buy them back from the guy he wholesaled them to, put a bunch of money into them, made them nicer, and then did a cash out refi to own the property with no money down and it's still cash flow. And at that time, I'm like 18. I'm just like, what language is this guy talking about? I don't know what any of this means, but how does this guy own property? How did he get paid to own property that continues to pay him? I'm just like, this is the way. So I stalked the guy essentially, you know, found his business, found his phone number online, gave him a call and just said, hey, you know, I'd love to learn how you do what you do. Can I buy you coffee? Can we meet for lunch sometime, you know, on the phone, he just says like, I don't drink coffee. You can meet me at this property in 15 minutes if you're serious. So I ran to my car. I got it. As you know, my response was essentially text me the address. And, uh, you know, that's really how I got, I got there. I had no idea what to say to the guy other than I want to learn how to do this. I don't have any skills, so I'll just work for you for free. Right. And so that's really how my journey began. You know, he, he responded, meet me tomorrow. If you're going to work for free. So I showed up every day in his business, trying to just add as much value as I possibly could anything. I mean, I had no idea what a cap rate was, what cash, like I had no idea about anything. I had no skills and I really had to build my skills through that time period. But it was a really, really valuable uh, experience for me because he had been in the real estate game for about a decade at that point doing, you know, he started doing wholesaling, then moved to house flips, then moved to single family rentals, and then moved up into multifamily. And I kind of got thrown in at that point where he was doing all of those things still in order to build equity. Uh, And I just hopped in and got to see each pieces of those business. 
And, you know, I just showed up every day, put as much effort as I could into it to really add value into his business. And about after a year of working for him for free, you know, just kind of says one day, he says, you know, you're too valuable in order to do anything else. So I'm going to make you a partner in this business. And I went from working for free to working for equity in deals. And specifically through that time process, I really learned that true wealth is built whenever you buy and hold and fix up and add value to commercial properties. Uh, So that's where I decided really to focus. So that's how I got started. Oh, wow. I think it's great that you're able to see the opportunity that was presented to you and really just seize it and run with it. And I mean, it's gotten you to where you are today. And so a lot of people, opportunities come by and, you know, they might not see it as an opportunity, but you created one for yourself. So that that's really um, admirable. Yeah, absolutely. If there's no door there, make your own door and run through it, you know, so that, that was kind of my approach. And so when you went to go work for your now partner um, Mm -hmm. for free, and like you mentioned, you didn't have any background in it. Mm -hmm. um, You didn't have a lot of education in it, but how did you find ways to create value for yourself and then to add value to him? You know, I think the key for me was that anytime I noticed something that I thought was inefficient or could be better or was a gap in his business that, you know, potentially he didn't see because he just never thought about it the way I thought about it, or he didn't have time or the staff or, or you know, maybe somebody in the organization didn't have the skills. I would either teach myself the skills or if I saw a problem, I would just fix it without being asked to fix a problem and really just creating value. I think one of the biggest mistakes is people, they wait to be asked, hey, Hayden, can you do this? I never waited to, hey, Hayden, can you do this? It's like, I see something that needs to be fixed. You know, here it is. So kind of my signature text message back and forth between him is like, whenever a request comes through, my response is just done, period. So I would always just be like, hey, can you, done, period, done, period, you know? So just being somebody who like will just, complete tasks, whether you're asked to, or if you just notice that something needs to be done or can be better, just improving that process or improving that system uh, to the point where, you know, there's like, wow, this would be great. And you're like, it's done. Don't worry about it. I already did it. So trying to create value in that way, not waiting to be asked because then, you know, it's a little bit too late. You're kind of a liability at that point. You know, if somebody asks you to do something, then they have to think about it. It's in their headspace versus if you can just take care of something without them doing it. So I didn't really never saw any sort of formal training. I just thought, hey, if I can solve this guy's problems, he'll let me keep hanging around and I can keep learning more. Right. If I was creating more problems for him, he's probably going to tell me to get out. So I just need to figure out how to solve problems. No, that's absolutely valuable, especially creating value for somebody that you're wanting to learn for. You know, it's it's really important. You want to create value for them um, in ways that they might not have originally thought about it. And then if you're able to identify those, you know, pieces that they might be missing or they need help with without having to um, think about it themselves, you know, I think that that's great. And it just makes everybody's lives easier. You're learning. He's getting a lot of value from it. His time is being spent other places. And I think it's just a great partnership that way. Yeah. Yeah. I completely agree. And I think that's one of the biggest things. Um, I've written a book now, which we can talk a little bit about, but I get a lot of people who hear my story and they come to me and they say, Hey, you know, I want to work for you for free. And I say, okay, you know, do something to provide value. And just people don't really follow through on it. So if I have to tell you what to do, then you're a drag on, on my time. And I'm not just saying me specifically, I'm saying in any mentor relationship, if, if you want to get started being a real estate investor or learning how to do the next phase in real estate, whether you're a current investor and you want to learn how to do development or whatever it may be, you have to learn how to provide value to those people without asking them how you can provide value. Because if somebody really had a problem that's successful, 
they've already handled that problem, right? Successful people don't just have a lot of problems lingering around. Successful people, when they have a problem, they figure out how to accomplish it, you know, get rid of it. So if somebody's new to the industry and, you know, they're coming up to you and they're asking you, hey, um, I want to add value to you. What can I do? What's some advice that you would give to them to just take the reins on things and to just create their values on their own? You know, I mean, one of the biggest things whenever I got started, I really had no idea about anything, but I took it upon myself to whenever I saw a gap in something, self-educate on how to fix that. So for example, if there was a marketing problem or a website problem or, or something of that nature in my mentor's business at that time, then I would go, he didn't know how to do it, right? And he wasn't really aware that that would make his business better, but I would go and learn how to do it and then just automatically do it and say it's done. So if you're trying to hop in somebody's business and add value to their existing business, they probably already have everything set up. So you've got to find ways to add you know, new streams into their ocean. You have to figure out how to bring new things to their business And, you know, you're going to learn, you're going to add skills and you're going to grow yourself that way while also learning about their business. And you'll take on more and more responsibility as it goes. So you can't really just dive in and learn everything at one time. You really have to be patient with the process and go step by step by step. It's not something that, you know, I just, hey, I'm going to work for this guy for free for a week and I'm going to learn everything about his business. I'm still learning to this day, and I'm sure you are too, how to improve my own business and how to get better and better. So it's not like I have everything figured out because I learned new ways that, oh, that'd be a cool way to add value to my current business. So those are really the things you have to think about. What is something that somebody in their existing business doesn't have figured out and how can you figure that out for them and make that a piece of their machine and then you're going to grow that way? Absolutely. Thank you for that advice. Well, that's really great. And so now you're, you've been asked to partner in his business. And so what did you do from there? So I learned that I was really good. I think there are three keys to any deal. Number one being the deal itself. Number two being the management, both the investment management and the property management. And then number three is the capital. When I started and I was a broke college kid, I mean, I think I had like 1700 bucks to my name. Um, So I didn't have any capital. I had never managed anything before, but I was willing to learn how to do it. But what I learned is that, you know, I could go out and I could create and I could find deals. So I got really good at that piece at finding and creating deals. Um, just all over the Southeast, really. And that's where I really cut my teeth is trying to figure out, hey, how can I create great deals that are going to make you know my mentor a lot of equity at the time? And so I was just bringing him all this equity through finding these, putting together these great deals, getting contracts, putting them together. Um, and eventually just goes, hey, I'm getting really good at this. So I'm just going to focus on getting better and better and better at this. So for me, it was all about, hey, how can I continue to find great deals that are aligned with what we want to do? So you know, after I figured out how real estate works, all the pieces of all the different businesses recognize that, hey, you know, I want to be a commercial value add investor. Uh, and it's like, all right, well, let's just let's hone in on that and just get really good at executing on that front. So that's what I did. And so what is your current focus right now? So I do self-storage, love self-storage. So I'm all in on on value add self-storage. Uh, looking at developing some self-storage as well. So that's my niche in the commercial industry, but that doesn't mean it has to be yours. You know, we stumbled across a self-storage facility four years ago, four or five years ago on accident and really just kind of fell in love with the business itself as opposed to multifamily or industrial or anything else. And um, really just got got good at analyzing those opportunities, finding those opportunities uh, and running those opportunities. And so that's that's pretty much my full-time focus is self-storage. How are you seeing, I guess, has self-storage been impacted at all with the current environment that we're facing in right now? We're facing a lot of environments. Which one are you talking about? Uh, I guess with COVID. 
with COVID, some markets have definitely seen a downtick. Um, luckily, I'm all in southeastern states, so we were not really impacted at all. If anything, we actually saw a little bit of an uptick in our business. So I think it's pretty market dependent. You know, self storage is one of those things where I wouldn't look at it nationally. I think it's very, very driven off of the local market there. So. Um, I think some people have been impacted. I've heard of other operators being impacted, seeing a little bit of loss in revenue, especially at the beginning of COVID, you know, in Q1, Q2 of 2020. But I think things are on the rise again. You know, rates softened a lot, but rates have started to come back. They've been strong um, and even starting to go back up. So we'll see how, how it goes. One of the big things about self-storage is it's largely driven off of the, the single family market, you know, the retail market. And so whenever people move homes, whenever they're buying and selling homes and getting out, they got to move their stuff out, right? You sell a house, you got to get your stuff into a self-storage unit. So it was a little bit of a weird year last year with, uh, as you know, a lot of people hunkered down and didn't want to sell their homes when they normally would have, mainly because there's no more inventory out there on the market. Super hard to find a place to move to. So that's impacted a little bit, but overall, I mean, self-storage remains resilient and a good business to be in. We love hosting this show. When we started this podcast, we were doing all the editing and post-production ourselves. Now, we are very excited to have this particular company as a partner of the show to do all the post-production for us, because it gives us the freedom to focus on the two things we care about, serving you, our listener, at a higher level, and growing our own multifamily business. If you are like Sayla and me, then you want to add value to others while scaling your business. A podcast is the best way to do both, and we invite you to contact Adam Adams. He can help you launch your podcast, market your show for more listeners, and take all the post-production off your plate so you can focus on your business instead of in it. Listeners of this show can get a free consultation with Adam. To schedule your free consultation, find the link in the show notes. And so after you found self-storage, how did you build it up to how big it is today? You know, just deal by deal, really. I mean, my, my main focus was finding opportunities that were being mismanaged by mom and pops. They didn't have the proper systems in place. I can't tell you how many facilities I bought that they didn't have software. They just had all their all their customers on a note card or in a notebook or something like that. So finding places that were outdated, needed some some capital improvements and some good good marketing and systemization. And, you know, just going deal by deal, trying to add value through it that way. So just one at a time, slowly working with just my mentor's equity and then eventually opening it up to outside investors and growing that way, deal by deal. We never really acquired a big portfolio or anything, just step by step. And so um, the investors that are coming in to invest in self-storage, are they typically like the new investor or do they have a prior knowledge about self-storage? Um, I would say typically the people that invest in me have some knowledge about how commercial real estate works. You know, it's, it's not their first real estate deal. And of course we started, you know, just with friends and family and then kind of opened up from there. Um, so there's a lot of different people. There's people who like to be involved and there's people who, you know, don't want to hear a single word until, you know, just like check the positive. That's it. So there's a full spectrum, but a lot of people, I mean, I like to educate people on real estate. I like to tell people why real estate is such a good deal. And I like for people to read my book. So all at the same time, we like to educate them. And so for a new investor who wants to get into self-storage, you know, what are some of the, I guess, maybe like three things that you would tell them about self-storage um, if they're looking to invest in self-storage? Okay. This is a great question. Number one, self-storage is not as easy as you think it is. Okay. So everyone looks at self-storage and they go, you know, hey, it's a concrete floor on a metal box. This is going to be the easiest thing in the world. Physically, it's true, right? That you can have a tenant move out, you can have another tenant move in in the same exact day. 
But self-storage is ran a lot more, I'd say, like a retail business than anything else. Self-storage isn't just, you know, hey, you move a tenant in and you set them up on auto pay for, you know, all this time. It is like that. But the fact that to be economical, you have to have so many tenants. You have to have a large building um, that you're always dealing with some tenants going in, going out. And therefore, you know, it's really ran more like a retail operation than just like a rental property. So that's the first thing I'd say is that it's going to be more on the operational side than you think it's going to be. Um, the second thing I would say is what I just said a second ago is that you have to have a critical mass in self-storage. If you invest in these small deals, that's I don't like to think in terms of units. I think that can be misleading. I, I think in terms of square footage, you prefer to have 40,000 square feet or more. 20,000 square feet being like the absolute bare minimum that I would invest in, but 40,000 square feet or more is really where self-storage deals start to become economical. Um, so the second thing is don't go small, you know, don't buy a 10 unit or a 20 or a 50 unit or anything like that. Cause generally if you average a hundred square foot a unit, it's just not going to work out. Right. So go big on that front. And then kind of the third thing is that technology is your best friend in the self-storage industry. So, um, be willing to work with technology and allow technology, especially softwares and automation systems and everything to, to really help you out. So I guess those would be my three things. And so from a, like a passive investor side, if they wanted to invest in self-storage, um, mm-hmm. what are some of the things that they should be thinking about when looking to invest in self-storage? Yeah, I mean, I would say definitely vet your operator. Self-storage sounds easy from the outside, but there's a lot of ins and outs to what makes a profitable self-storage deal. A lot of that being on the operator. And the second thing, self-storage is a very, very hyper-local business. A lot of people in the self-storage industry look at five-mile radiuses, meaning, you know, if I have a property at 123 Main Street, I'm going to take a, a straight line of five miles and draw a big circle all the way around it. And that's essentially my entire market. You know, it doesn't matter if I'm in Atlanta. It doesn't matter if I'm in LA. It doesn't matter if, you know, I'm in, in Austin, right? It matters what five mile area I'm in in that. So you have to be super careful that you're not in an oversaturated five mile radius. And, and honestly, I look at three mile way more than I look at five mile. The reason being is that I've analyzed all my different rent rolls on my properties. And I think it's 96% of my customers come from within three miles of my property, right? So your heavy, heavy customer base is going to be within that three mile radius. And, you know, again, from a passive side, just vet the market, be sure not about just the market, but about the submarket. It can sound great. Oh, we're buying this, you know, amazing property in Austin. But if the submarket you're investing in is oversaturated, with self-storage, that'd be like having, you know, 200 gas stations within one mile stretch. It's like all of them are just going to get a little bit of business and nobody's going to do well. So self-storage isn't really a business where you can create a need. You don't just drive down the interstate, see a billboard for self-storage and go, I'm going to go rent one of those, right? It's very need driven. So it has a lot to do with the demographics of the people there and making sure that there's that natural demand for the product there. That makes sense. Thank you for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. And so I want to talk a little bit about the book that you had written, um, Skip sure. the Flip, Secrets the 100, 1% Know About Real Estate Investing. Yes. Um, yeah. So if you can talk a little bit about like if we were to take a look in that book, what would people find? So the reason that I wrote the book, and this is a kind of a long way around of answering your question. The reason that I wrote your book is that I got started in college and all of my college buddies, they were busy partying and I was busy working. Um And I knew I had this timeline of, hey, you know, I don't want to go get a job whenever I graduate college. And I was lucky enough to not have to do that. I was lucky enough to reach financial freedom before I graduated. And so about a year after I graduated or so, all of my buddies who 
were having fun in college while I was working, they all started to come to me and they go, man, this job I'm at, it sucks. Like, what was that real estate thing, you know, you were doing again? And so I love to help people. I'm a very open book. And so I just started sharing through meeting back up with people on phone calls or lunches or coffees or whatever it may be to the point of like several times a week where people wanted to ask me, how do I get started being a real estate investor? How do I get started making money in real estate? And so, you know, the conversation was almost the same exact conversation every single time where people would go, hey, I want to get into real estate. I think I want to start flipping houses. That's going to be the best way. And I just have this same thing. You need to skip the flip and here's what you need to do instead. So I teach people about, you know, why flipping houses, which I'm perfectly okay with. I just want to call it what it is. Flipping houses is a job or a business. It's not investing. So I talk about the difference between being in the business of real estate and being a real estate investor and what the differences are. And then I talk about how commercial real estate works, why it varies from residential, how to value properties, what all the different tax benefits or, you know, how to use other people's money like banks to your benefit and why being a real estate investor over the long haul through inflation is going to be your best friend. So really just all the general basic points that you would want to teach somebody new getting into real estate about why real estate is such a great investment, all wrapped up in one book. Um, so I was having all those meetings and I just essentially said, man, I got to get back to work. I can't keep having all these meetings. I love helping people out. So I sat down and wrote the book in one day. Um, and I just started giving it out for free for anybody who wants to learn about real estate. And that was, you know, we're recording this start of February, 2021. That was less than a year ago. And it's done really, really well. It's been a bestseller since I've launched it on Amazon. Um, and I think I've sold about 10,000 or so copies now in less than a year. So super excited for that. I get nothing but, but great feedback. And again, I love to give it out for free for anybody that wants it through PDF or audiobook. Oh, wow. That's really great. And I think a lot of times with flipping houses, it's kind of what we see a lot on the TV, on TV. And so it's it's kind of like when we hear real estate investing, it's mm-hmm. what people tend to think of first of all. Um, yeah. Because there's so many so many shows out there about flipping houses. And so um, it's great that you're showing the other side of things for real estate, that there's other ways to, to be in real estate other than just flipping houses. And so I, I think that this is a really uh, very, very informative book that you've written out for everybody. So thank you for that. You're absolutely welcome. I mean, I think you're exactly right. You know, the bad thing about being a good real estate investor is that good real estate investing is boring, right? Good real estate investing doesn't take a lot of time. It moves kind of slowly. And it's not, you know, that ultra glamorous. I mean, the money is fantastic and everything, but there's not this constant, you know, stuff you could film. Like if you were to film my self-storage business, you know, people would tune out after like a minute and 30 seconds because everybody <laughs> would be bored. So, but that's what good real estate investing is all about. And so what is your current focus now? Or what is your next focus now? Sorry, Kaden. Yeah. My next focus is is just to continue to try and educate people through my book and then continue to help people, you know, who want to be involved in real estate investing, invest passively with me in these quote boring deals, deals that could really change their life from a tax benefit side, from a cash flow side, from an equity side. Um, so just to continue to do it. You know, I love being a real estate investor. I love helping other people achieve their goals. So that's what it's all about. And so Hayden, how has real estate investing impacted your life so far? Drastically. I mean, my life is completely, completely different thanks to it. You know, I mean, I've been fortunate enough to say I've had financial freedom for several years now. And honestly, you know, whenever I first got started after I read Rich Dad Poor Dad, I thought that I'd be a lazy person. I wanted financial freedom, so I didn't have to work, but I work more than ever now just because I love it. So I'm just really excited about real estate. I'm really excited, you know, what the future holds and continuing to build. And I just love being busy and and love seeing progress. So 
Uh, real estate has impacted my life every second of every day from when I wake up to when I go to bed. I think about real estate. I think about deals and I think about helping other people obtain financial freedom. And what is one thing that you know now about real estate that you wish you knew when you first started? That I should completely skip residential, move straight to commercial because the work is the same, but the checks are bigger. That's the only difference. And what is one thing that sets successful people apart in the real estate investing business? I'd say grit. You know, real estate investing fundamentally is very, very easy, but I have almost never closed a single deal on the original timeline. You know, like almost every single big deal gets extended for one reason or another. And if you don't have the grit and the patience to stick it out and fight through these, we'll call them surprises, but there are surprises in every single deal then you know, you're really probably just not cut out for real estate because there's a lot of uncertainty in closing deals. There's a lot of things that aren't life ending, but that just go wrong in, in real estate um, that were avoidable, but you don't know it until you actually see it firsthand. So I would just say successful real estate investors, people who can solve problems, people who are patient and people who are gritty, who will fight through you know, to get deals done. And what tools or techniques have you used to improve the efficiency of your business or your personal life? Uh, a lot of people don't think about it, but writing a book is a huge tool. I've just seen my business and you know my personal brand from writing this book and helping other people through good karma. I mean, I must get two or three messages a day on Instagram of people telling me that they've read my book, which is just a tool in my real estate business and tell me how it's changed their life. They bought their first rental property because of it. So that's something that has really been life-changing for me. And I'm super excited to see the long-term impacts of that. Um, so that's super impactful. But I just say, you know, in addition to that, just technology of any sort, being on social media, spreading knowledge, super impactful. Well, wow, it's, it's really great. It's really rewarding to see actually people reaching out to you and just sharing how your book has impacted their lives. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so super thrilled about that. And so Hayden, if our listeners wanted to find out more about you and what you do, where can they go? Yeah, absolutely. So first off, I'd love for everybody, if they want to get a free copy of my book in a PDF or audio book, you can go to HaydenCrabtree.com forward slash free book and get that emailed over to you for free. If you like physical copies, you can pick one up on Amazon. I think they're, you know, 10 bucks. But other than that, I hang out on Instagram a lot. So I always check my Instagram DMs every couple of days and read through that and respond to everybody. So my handle or username, whatever we call it, is just Hayden Crabtree, which is my name, H-A-Y-D-E-N Crabtree. So uh, super easy to reach there and, you know, happy to talk. If anybody wants to talk more, then hit me up there and we can email back and forth or whatever it may be. Oh, thank you so much for sharing, Hayden. I really enjoyed our conversation and having you on the show today. Yes, thanks for having me. And thank you for listening to our podcast today, brought to you by Bonavest Capital. We would really appreciate it if you can go to iTunes right now and leave a rating and written review. Also, please don't forget to subscribe so you can always get the latest episodes. You can also connect with us on Facebook, How Did They Do It Real Estate. We'd love to hear your feedback and any topics that you're interested in for future episodes. Lastly, to learn more about us, you can go to bonifestcapital.com and fill out the contact us page so you can speak to us directly. Nothing on the show should be considered as specific personal advice. Please consult your legal, tax, and real estate professionals for individualized advice.